Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to See Also. Hi, Kate Junks. Hey, Brody Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> You've been over the Dutch. I have been. Um, I have been to Inzid. <laughs> I am so sorry to all it's of our sound, New Zealand listeners. The sound of people turning off. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, happy birthday. It was your birthday. Thank you. It was. I'm 34. I'm coming to you from the other side of my birthday. Over the whole... Over the I'm over the whole bloody hole. <laughs> yeah, it was my birthday this week. I'm going to talk in detail about it at the live show, uh, which if you're in Melbourne is tonight. If you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, it's tonight. See you there. Yeah, there's probably some tickets left. There, there might be some tickets if you're lucky. You um, can be one of the last people to use that code. <laughs> See also alfresco one word lowercase. Get yourself a ticket. Come along 8 p.m. tonight. So you, you've got the tone of someone who said that discount code a few times, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag badge in the city. Hashtag badge in the city. See you there. See all your badges in the city. Um, how was your trip? <laughs> um, it was really great. I mean, it was a bit of a parvet trip. If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, I'm not getting into it. Sure. But I didn't have any barn me. You just wanted for a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. It was just for like a couple of days uh, just to Auckland. Um, I asked on, I haven't been there for like more than a night before. I've been to Wellington and the Bay of Islands before, but never to actual Auckland. Uh, And so I threw it out on my Instagram of like asking for some tips and boy, did I get them. Um, Good tips. Really good tips, like amazing tips. So if you did write in, 
I thank you so much. <laughs> I did learn that I need to say chili bun to get into the accent. Perfect. That's your way in. Yeah. Yeah. Remember how we were doing like, what's your in for get Ireland? In, get in the car. You do, and I say, or oh, Samuel. Blanard. Or oh, Samuel. <laughs> well, chili bun. Chili bun. And I'm still just absolutely appalling at the yeah. accent. Well, as we all know, the way to do a good New Zealand accent is to pretend you're an American actor trying to do an Australian accent. Oh, yeah, that is true. Then you'll it? hit a perfect New Zealand accent. <laughs> But yeah, it was really lovely. Like flew in, the weather was shit, but we went over to uh, Waiheke Island mm. nonetheless. And it was a gorgeous day. Would have been a bit better if it was sunny, but it was And it was lovely. just a compact international weekend. Yeah. Like you left after work on Friday and yeah. you were home by Monday morning. Yeah, it was, you know, reporting for duty by 9.30am <laughs> on Monday morning. Yeah, left late on Friday. Caught a random bus on the island and um, <laughs> oh yeah, went to a winery <laughs> and that we didn't know anything about. Had a wine, started pouring, pissing down, and then Puss, absolutely pissing down. It was such a race. No, I can't do that. At the vineyard. <laughs> uh, how, what, how, what's our other in it could be like? I bubble, I fizz. I'm the life of the party. Uh, pussy party. The pussy party. Um, but yeah, it was great. Then went back into the city, did zero shopping, but ate so well. Great. Yeah, went to this really great little um, Italian, Italian? Save it. I went to this great place (laughs) (laughs) for lunch by the harbour. It was called Amano, Amano. Mm -hmm. Delightful. Had a Hugo's. What's that? It's the cocktail that my friend Johnny says is the drink of the summer. And we had like a big like, that's not the drink of the summer. TikTok, spritz is the 23 days left of summer, Johnny. Well, he did tell me in maybe late no november okay um it i is, take it back i don't know johnny sorry for offending you it's like a, you do it's johnny leary oh then yes yeah <laughs> uh the hugo has um elderflower liqueur in it it's, mm. it's very good okay very good anyway had one of those um went to a really cute italian place on k road for dinner called coco's cantina do you is k what's k what what's the thing with k road is it just that it sounds like ketamine road or is it like, it's like a, a hub or something? It's like, uh, okay. It's sort of, is the, it the Burke street mall of Auckland? No. So people would say, I think in New Zealand, people would say it's like Smith street, but for, for you, I would say it's actually more like chapel street. Got it. Like it's a little, like there are a lot of hens parties. Got it. There are people really drunk just like dancing on the side of the street i I famously have deleted tiktok off my phone pat on the back for me but my favorite tiktok famous brownie making teen baker Mm. um got a shop on k road and sometimes she talks about all the kooky characters it's very that but um yeah it's kind of like that but then there's also like really good wine bars and like cute restaurants have been there forever. Mm. Anyway, it was, I really enjoyed my time there and um, went to like a Korean spot in Ponsonby, which I was told was the Paddington. Okay. The Sydney reference. And um, (laughs) then it's like so silly that we always have to do that, but we do. We do. Do you know who's been in actual Paddington? Jacob Elordi. Moving on. What else did you do? (laughs) 
I had drinks at a great place called Annabelle's Wine Bar, mm-hmm. also in Ponsonby. That was lovely. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, did like great, like a hotel swim and sauna, which oh, you know I love to do. Your favorite. Love that sauna. You love to sauna. Do love it. So, uh, yeah, it was great. And then just like popped back home. Just popped back home. How long is the flight? Four hours. Fuck. I read a book one way, slept the rest. I got to get over there. I've never been to New Zealand. Oh, you must. You must. There was talk of a family holiday when I was 14 that never eventuated. My sister's listening to this, no, all too well, Taylor Swift's version. But um, yeah, I've got to go. It's on my five-year plan. We'll get to that in another episode. Yeah, we will get that in, in five years time probably yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah i i i love new zealand i love going over there mm. um would love to go back to auckland and see a bit more of it on a sunny day but i really loved wellington mm. when we went i went there in 2018 beautiful botanic gardens where's all the lord of the ring stuff just outside of auckland i couldn't tell you yeah. exactly where but there's lots of signs for like this way to board a coach for hobbiton were there heavenly creatures signs that's Christchurch. Got it. So I have to get to Christchurch. There are probably a signs there. <laughs> this way to the Melanie Linsky experience. Oh my, the whole time we were there, um, my girlfriend and I kept saying, a next lunch, like breakfast, <laughs> not breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's. But I'm a cheerleader. But I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> next lunch. A next lunch. Well, while you were in Auckland, I uh, went to Sydney through the power of the movies. <laughs> I went to see anyone but you. Oh, God, do tell, because I'm really hoping to get it on an upcoming flight. Kate, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say – you and I have been disagreeing on um, silly movies a lot recently. Um, see, also Wonka. But if <laughs> if you turn around and tell me that you liked this movie or that you thought it was good, I'll, I might literally have to go to hospital and be like, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. This was – I'm not exaggerating. The strangest movie I have ever seen in my life. My friend Sinead and I uh, went to see it and every other line, either delivery or contents of the words or both, we lo- I looked at her and was like, oh, what? It's so strange. Like the the meat is a rom com. The meat cute between Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. I'm not even joking. He's making a um her a grilled cheese sandwich, and she says like, I don't even know if I want to be a lawyer anymore. Oh my god, I've never said that out loud. I'm such a mess. Like there's just so much speaking things that you we never see her being a lawyer. We never see lawyering being hard or something that is clearly at odds with her life. We never see her doing things that she actually does want to do. She just keeps mm-hmm. talking about how she doesn't want to be a lawyer through the whole movie. But don't tell my parents I dropped out of law school, but this and that. And they found out that I'm not going to law school anymore. Uh, it sounds like a Netflix show. It's it, yeah. It's this, it felt like an SNL sketch of a rom-com. Okay. Like the idea of like that they're, they're going past the Sydney opera house and it's like, I just want to go somewhere like that. People are falling in love, getting engaged taking pictures, seeing their future in a place like that. I'm like, it's a fucking venue. <laughs> it's like restaurants. But is it like, do you get a good dose of Sydney within it? Not Sydney Sweeney, but like Sydney the city? <laughs> you get both. Um, it was really jarring to see Glenn Powell and Gator, who I only know from the TV show Dave, who plays his best friend, 
carrying like the four bunches of flowers for this whole wedding um because everyone has to pitch in um walking down is it george street where like the giant mecca is like they're walking down the street and i was like mecca's near there that five-story mecca is really close and just like stopping for a scene in front of Haig's chocolates and like the those new Sydney trams are going past. I'm convinced they finished all that tram works finally for this movie. It's the light rail. I think you'll find. God, sorry. I was just like, of all the iconic Sydney things, surely a ferry. Surely, surely they don't feature a ferry. There are there are boats in it. Okay, but it's not ferries. Hmm. It's from the at. Also, like, okay, I don't want to objectify her, but Sydney Sweeney's whole thing is her boobs, right? Like mm. skinny arms, big tits. The tits are great. They're beautiful. They're incredible even. Like I love them, love to look at them. Every bra or bikini top she is wearing in this movie, the band is like up at her shoulder blades because they have made the straps so short so that the cup like – barely fits over her tit Mm. so her tits are kind of spilling out of the cups because it's just ill-fitting and like the bra strap at the back I'm like she needs to go to Burley and have like an old woman like harangue her into a bra like we all did uh yeah it was shocking to me god I hope bra fitters aren't seeing that film it would send them into an absolute spiral me too there are like five good lines in this movie and they're all delivered by Glenn Powell I'm not saying he's good in the movie, but he gets the only good lines, which are all about like when he worked in finance and like accidentally did meth. And they're just like these funny little asides, but also like Gator, who is from the TV show, Dave is kind of like a comedic double act with Brian Brown. Brian Brown's in this. Brian Brown is in this. He plays the father of the bride, one of the two brides, lesbian wedding, of course. He also knocks on the knocks on someone's door because obviously everyone's staying in the same house and says, "Wake up, baby, gorgeous." So there's a Bravo head on the bizarre writing mm-hmm. team of this movie. I assume it's a team. There's no way one single brain made this movie. But also, guess who else is in it? Rachel Griffiths. Guess what she's playing? An American. Oh, that's weird. The whole thing about this movie is that for some reason all these people have to go to Sydney. Wouldn't you just keep Rachel Griffiths as Rachel Griffiths? Yeah, why can't she be a... Kate, I don't know. I have so many questions about this movie. It made me feel... My my takeaway from it is that making movies must be either really, really hard or so easy. (laughs) Because if for this to have gotten made... It needed to be either so challenging that it ended up this complicated and bad... Or so piss easy that even this thing can get made. I don't know where I stand. Okay. I am so, I've got a long haul flight coming up in two weeks and I am so desperate for it to be added to like the Qantas entertainment menu. Yeah. Although coming back, I watched up from New Zealand, I watched um, Strange Way of Life, the Pedro Almodovar short film. I never got to see it with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke. Yes. Oh, that played at MIF. Yeah. I watched it while I had like breakfast on the plane. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I watch Love Island at breakfast. It was really, was absolute like, yeah. Camp silly melodrama. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I keep seeing headlines that like this R rated rom-com. Yeah. You see her boobs and like a dick. Um, Did you see reality? No. It was great. I don't know it if was. it's streaming, but I think um, it is. Yeah. It was really good. I just, there was something about, um, Sydney Sweeney's delivery in this 
that was giving me Renee Rapp in the new Mean Girls movie where it's like they both have like beautiful big smiles but they kind of talk through their smiles and there's there's an element of like vocal fry going on. So the lines just come out like, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like a Kroll show sketch. Yeah, okay. But there are all these headlines about how anyone but you, this R-rated rom-com is like killing it at the box office. It is. This is... This is like whatever's going on in True Detective Night Country. It's like they're releasing gas into the water or something. Like this is a mass psychosis event or like folia du. Like we are all, everyone who's going to see this movie (laughs) and lining the pockets of anyone but you and New South Wales tourism clearly is just like we're all broken. Okay. We're Uh, we're broken people. I now cannot wait to see this film. Maybe I won't wait to try and watch it on a flight. I'll just gold class it. No, do it on the flight because I feel like that'll add to like your emotional precarity. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into the movie chats this week, I just wanted to mention that if you're in Melbourne and you are a Taylor Swift fan, first of all, there's going to be something very special behind the paywall over on the Patreon in a couple of weeks, but also... I am hosting an in-conversation event at the Wheeler Centre on the 13th of February with Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone. We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift, but also like music criticism, her following Harry Styles all around the world to write the cover story on Rolling Stone on him, inevitably. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, And I would love to see any uh, Swifty see also listeners there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think that before we get into the films that we're going to talk about today, we should dedicate this episode to a listener who got in touch. Absolutely. Rosie, who has formed a film club here in Melbourne to go and watch films together with her friends. So cute. Our legacy, Jinxie. (laughs) This is our legacy. I love it. Yeah. And Rosie uh, DM'd us on Instagram and let us know that this week or recently her film club has been to see all of us strangers and they are about to go and see May December. Coincidentally, the two movies we're talking about this week. So Rosie, this one is for you and your friends. Okay, May, December. I have been waiting since <laughs> May last year to talk about this goddamn film. 
And then you saw it like in August last mm-hmm. year and we have had to not say anything because it's taken so long to be released in Australia. The, yeah, the the entire uh, cycle of discourse around this film has been and gone in America um, <laughs> and I guess all around the world because it landed on Netflix like two months before it came out in cinemas in Australia this week. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. But also it's like we felt that we needed to wait until it was out in theatres here because absolutely not many people got to see it at like festivals last year. Yeah. So it was my favourite viewing experience at MIF last year. It was, I I was so hotly anticipated. I thought I wasn't going to get to go to the screening that I managed to get into like a sneaky, you know, final release seat. And it was just, I mean, I I think I've talked about it before. I'm like, this is what good movies are. Like I I had, the thought came into my head while watching it of why can't all movies be this good? Mm -hmm. Why can't every filmmaker be Todd Haynes? Why can't they? Yeah. This film was so good that I had to like call up an American podcast and do like a little (laughs) dispatch over on every outfit because it was so good and I had to talk about it. Well, we didn't have enough hot dogs. We don't have enough hot dogs. And also while the discourse is discoursing, let's talk about the true Oscars snubs this year. Yeah, we haven't talked at all about the Oscars, but everyone's talked about the Oscars. I'm over it. No nomination for Natalie Portman. No. No nomination for Julianne Moore. None for Charles Melton. That's the one that stings. It is. None for Todd Haynes. I never expected it. Okay. Just because he never gets not like, Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the Mm. Academy just does not seem to know what to do with him. You know how people keep saying about Greta Gerwig's quote unquote snub, get over it. But um, they keep saying like, she's going to be nominated in eight years for her third worst movie, which will be a biopic of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, It's like, like yeah. Todd Haynes will be nominated in nine years for his like ninth best movie. And it'll be like a, I don't know. What will it be? Maybe it'll be like, the making of this film, like some kind of weird Schenectady, New York kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe. Someone making May, December. But we got to say that screenwriter Sammy Birch was nominated mm-hmm. and that is cool. It is. Because it's a great script. Absolutely. And Christine Vachon, who produced this, uh, is nominated but for her work on Past Lives. And it's her first Oscar nomination. <laughs> the tone of this film is maybe like a good place to start with it. I feel like the plot synopsis has been well established, but also we'll obviously talk in detail about it. But the ve- there's a very specific kind of comedic tone that runs through this film that like, I feel like many audiences, including the one I saw it with at MIV and the one I saw it with last weekend at a advanced screening were not comfortable laughing at the objectively funny parts of this movie. But it is like this pitch perfect, like it is a campy melodrama, psychodrama. Yeah. And like there are these comedic elements throughout it, but yeah, it is meant to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Hmm. And it deeply is like the, the layer of kind of like grime that sits over all of these characters, like emotional grime makes you so discomforted that by the time something really funny happens, very early on the hot dogs, you're kind of like, oh, am I allowed? Am I? Is this what the film intended was for me to laugh? Yes. Yeah, it it's a bit like a whoop. Like yeah, it's like when we saw Tar and we were both hooting, cackling, like hags, holy hooting, <laughs> cackling hags at that final scene, and everyone else was just like, 
clutching their free champagne yeah. and being like, is it over yet? Yeah. Is this awful woman off our screens yet? No, we're going to keep watching this abusive woman and we're going to watch another one in the movie May, December. <laughs> so if you don't know what made it like, do we need to? Okay. Yeah. Julianne Moore plays Gracie. It's adapted from the Mary Kay Letourneau story. When she was 36, she had a sexual relationship with a 13-year-old boy, went to prison for it and came out of prison and had three children with him, married him. And it's like a story of major abuse of power and sexual abuse and it is a really terrible, terrible story. But in this version, Gracie is living kind of her normal life with Joe, her now husband and their kids, and an actress has arrived in town to essentially shadow her in the community in order to play her in a biopic, and that's played by Natalie Portman. Mm -hmm. And so we see this woman just kind of coming into town and basically stirring up trouble, which is exactly what Gracie doesn't want mm -hmm. because Gracie has gone to extreme lengths to kind of evade this kind of very public persona and have this very smooth life mm -hmm. in Slovannah, as someone <laughs> describes it in the film. Uh, yeah, and it just is, I mean, yum, 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 yum. Yeah, the story, I, I was thinking about it after the second screening of this, how, you know, there there is like a not a proliferation but there are several examples of these stories of like female abusers in these sexual dynamics from recent years like the book Tampa by Alyssa Nutting that I read a few years ago that tv show that I feel like no one really talked about that more maybe I missed the discourse a teacher by Hannah Fidel Kate Mara played the teacher um and ironically, both of those, or coincidentally, both of those are about teachers, which is such a clear power dynamic. Notes on a scandal as well. Okay, I've never seen it. You must. Okay. Our Kate. Oh, love. It's very tar of her. Um, and, you know, Mary Kay Letourneau, that was their dynamic, her dynamic with Vili Falau. And it just got me thinking, like, you know, has the conversation around, like, Woody Allen and, um, you know, the his co-star in Manhattan. Why am I forgetting her name? Mariel um, Hemingway. Mariel Hemingway. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been around for so long. We're so accustomed to like men abusing their positions of power. The low leader of it all. Like we, I, I get the sense that like the stories of women in these situations being the obviously the aggressors and the men as victims. It, it's more meaty subject matter because there's more to say. And I am almost like, is it because we just are so desensitized to men fucking up the lives of women that, that it has to be the inverse to kind of like stoke conversation? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we are desensitized to it, but I think it's more that, I mean, it's, I'm, I mean, it's misogyny yeah. of the, it's so much worse when a woman does it. She should know better. Yes. She has more of a duty of care or yeah. like, yeah. It's like it's much more interesting to read about a murderess, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also like Gracie, like the character that Julianne Moore's kind of concocted here, there's so much about her that is like fragile and immature and naive and insecure. Um, I am naive. I always have been. I am naive. Oh, best line in the film. She's applying blush like a pretty little girl. Um, there's just, you know, she coasts on that 
fragility and vulnerability because it keeps her in that pos- that childlike position where she feels like she has done nothing wrong because how could I? I'm just a little Gracie. Is she making her cakes? She's making cakes and all my friends are buying cakes. <laughs> Those cakes looked good. <laughs> Meanwhile, like it really struck me on the second viewing how much like the natural world of Savannah and like their lives kind of tells you so much about these characters you know Gracie for all of her naivety she's a hunter you know we see her carrying a rifle she's got hunting dogs she's like searching for prey and in the hands of Todd Haynes that is not on the nose or like kind of obvious or anything meanwhile Joe is like quietly collecting leaves off plants so that he can safely protect little chrysalises until they emerge into butterflies because they're so endangered and they're so at risk of being hurt. We didn't mention the kids are about to graduate from high school and so they're about to be alone in the house for the first time since obviously they got together when he was 13, he's now 36. Um, And so Elizabeth stirring up all this stuff in their relationship comes at this really pivotal time. And there's this moment where his kids are about to fly the nest and he releases the first hatched butterfly and then it cuts to Gracie stomping through the fucking bushland around their house, like trying to find something to aim her rifle at. Yeah. Um, I haven't fact checked this. Don't you love that? Love to hear that on a podcast. That's us, baby. <laughs> but okay. So Joe is collecting these chrysalises mm-hmm. to eggs. I think eggs. he collects. Yeah. Yeah. So that they become butterflies mm-hmm. to release them obviously freedom, et cetera, and becoming something new, mm. 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 of course. Mm-hmm. Mm. But also, is it a nod to Lolita? Because I can't remember if it's been so long since I read it. Yeah, same. But I can't remember if there was like a big butterfly motif in that book or whether it was just that Nabokov was like a major butterfly collector and he was obsessed with Mm. butterflies. I feel like it was in the book, but also they appear in The Sweet East, which has Mm. that kind of like abusive age difference. And But in that it's, what's his name from? Simon Rex. Yeah, Simon Rex, and he collects moths. Yeah. And I think that that was like a big Nabokov um reference right and when i saw the sweet east i was like oh i wonder if that's anyway Mm. Hmm. and the butterfly thing too don't at me don't dm me i'll look it up afterwards we'll look it up ourselves we're just talking out loud over here and then you're listening and then i was like how does that relate to elizabeth too because she doesn't really interact with nature at all she's from the city um obviously like coming in there just to observe their lives but the first time she spends any time with Gracie is when they're like snipping tidy little flowers and like doing their like flower arranging class my brother says order that's own reward <laughs> am I getting good at it or am I delusional I I I think we are both delusional because we both think that we're good at it it's <laughs> It's really fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. Hot, I don't think we've got enough hot dog. We don't have enough hot dogs. Cut to <gasps> 85 hot dogs on the grill. I know. <laughs> but also cut to that incredible score that's adapted from the go-between score. Wow. What? I've never seen the go-between. I had never even heard of it before watching this movie. The only go-between I knew was Robert Forster. Um, do I need to watch, read? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah you do. Great. Um. Read it, 
Sure. Watch it, yes. Okay. Julie Christie stars. Mm. Oh, it's great. Fabulous. Uh, fun fact from it. Mm. It's not that fun, actually. All my fun facts. <laughs> you know what? Not that fun, but that's okay. <laughs> and they're it's mine. About moths. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, Mothman, the Mothman Chronicles. What was that? Prophecy. Was that? The prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. So Dominic Gard, who played, is a British actor, and he played the literal go-between in The Go-Between. He, the titular go-between. The titular go-between, the titular fall. He, um, that's a little in-joke there. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, he he was the posh English boy in Picnic Hanging Rock who becomes, like, obsessed with the disappearance of the girls. Oh, that is a fun fact. Chinksy, that's fun. Thank you so much. That fact was really fun. Well, good. I feel good about myself now. Um, speaking of imitating Julianne Moore's accent, watching Natalie Portman as this kind of, like, leech over the course of this movie you know by the end but at the start she's got bangs by the end her hair's swept out of her face and she shows up in kind of like a kind of dowdy like suburban mama house dress to bake with gracie and i didn't notice until my second viewing that when she joined she tags along for the like family dinner at the mm-hmm. restaurant and she says cheers <laughs> Uh, we are going to get into spoilers in a little bit. We, yeah. we're, but we'll talk about the general, the general film before we do that. Yeah. Um, it's just if you're starting to get worried. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk about the decor in that house, the production design. <laughs> that house is so specific. I I felt like I have been to that I've house. I've been inside that the door. There's a shot of Gracie kind of standing at the front door and I was like, I've been in, I've knocked on that door. Yeah, the peach tones, the seashells. Mm-hmm. I love it so much because it's so clearly Gracie's house. Mm-hmm. Like it is all completely the aesthetic of that particular woman and the age of that woman and mm. like also this kind of like – um, it's like frozen in time Yeah, too. it's like arrested development really yeah. um, of her but also that – there is nothing of him in that house. Like he doesn't exist within that house. There's no sign of him except for those butterflies. And even his hobby, she's like, get the bugs out of the room. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I just want to, cause I, I was in love with that. Yeah. There's so many like, yeah. Hanging pots from like an eight foot tall ceiling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Um, another favorite thing in this, and I think that, this is also some someone you loved in it, but her son mm. from her previous marriage, played by Corey Michael Smith, who I just adore him. Mm. And he gives this like jagged performance of this like truly kind of fucked up individual yeah. who is dealing with the pain that his mother caused, but also like knowledge of the mother and like the childhood that she had Mm. and God, he's just so good. And he is so like on edge. He's just like fizzing the entire time. And then when he gets up and plays in his like terrible covers band, Oh my God, I love him. Love him. Yeah. He, I didn't clock this really until you were describing his kind of character just then, but like, when we first hear about him, Georgie, her son from her first marriage, it's in the context of she met Joe because he was in Georgie's class and Georgie was so deeply fucked up by what his mum did when he was 13 years old that it's like 
how can you look at Joe and not think that how deeply fucked up he was by it happening to him? Mm -hmm. Like Joe is just so, he's like a duck, like smooth on the surface and just paddling madly under the water until the very end of the film. Yeah. But Georgie is just raw nerve. Like I I thought of um, that Billy Magnuson performance in Ingrid Goes West. Oh, yeah. He's that horrible brother or um, Caleb Landry Jones in Get Out. Caleb Landry Jones, P.S., got a press release that he's um, releasing an album <laughs> today. But it was, I wrote down raw nerve James Kennedy energy. <laughs> that is that is true. They're like, it's like they've, they're Ritalin or something. Yeah, he's, yeah, but like doesn't need to be on it, no. you know? Yeah. He, maybe Doing he, it for fun. Yeah. I love that he, the actor, exists in this Todd Haynes adjacent world. Mm-hmm. So he plays the detective in Carol. Todd Haynes Carroll. Stop. Mm-hmm. That's him. Yeah, it is. And then he plays the pseudo doctor, the abortion doctor in Call Jane, which was directed by Phyllis Nage, who wrote Carol yes. for Todd Haynes. Yes, yes, yes. But I've got to see also for him, yeah. just getting here quickly. Yeah. He was in this great movie that kind of came and went. Um, it was called 1985. So it's hard to Google, but it's by Yen Tan. Uh, it came out in 2018 and he plays this guy in his like early-ish 20s. He comes home. It's all black and white. He comes home one Christmas to Dallas back from New York and he is um, HIV positive and he knows that he doesn't have very long left, but he's sort of unable to or unwilling to disclose that kind of information to his family, but he just sort of wants the time with them. Mm. It's very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to seek it out. I just wrote it down. I feel like we're about to get into spoiler tell it. I feel like we're about to get into spoiler territory because we need to discuss some like very particular scenes and some things that happen to the characters. So spoiler noise coming up. Check the show notes for what time you should come back in because you don't want to miss out all of us strangers chats or our also also's. I said to you before we started recording, there are so many kind of like archetypes of men in this movie. Like he's one of them. And then we Elizabeth also goes to meet Tom, who is Gracie's husband who she had children with and was married to before she abused joe yeah and he's just the definition of passive he's just a nice man Mm. and he you know he gets stirred up by these memories like he he gets a bit emotional but elizabeth's reaction to gracie after meeting him is like i can see how stifling it would have been living being in a marriage with a man like that i was like a nice man (laughs) a nice man (sighs) yeah yeah this is the part in the cinema where no one wants to laugh and I laughed and then I felt like I was going to get arrested. But Elizabeth is watching audition tapes on her computer that she's been sent by the director of the film that they're making about Gracie and Joe for young Korean-American actors who are going to play Joe. They're little boys, 13-year-old boys. They're little boys. And her response is, can we find anyone a bit more like sexy? yeah it's it's such a brilliant line to communicate how because you get you don't get desensitized to it but you're watching charles melton by that point and anytime you see him in the at the time when the relationship with gracie started he is kind of muscular he's probably tall for his age all these excuses that gracie gives for why it wasn't so bad what she did because he was old for his age or whatever he was he had to grow up really fast because he had a mum who died but 
fuck man like seeing those little children and then that line I, I, I lost it uh yeah I had the same reaction as you Beale, to that like it is such an incredible moment in the film every bit of Natalie like she's so good in it and like it's you know that the film that she's making is not a good one. Like we already know that she's like a TV actress mm. and – but the film that the, we see – The show she's in is called Nora's Ark. It's about a female vet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but then when you actually get to see the film that she's <laughs> – it's the reveal of Tar. It's the reveal at the end of Tar when you realize what she's committed her career to by the end. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Wow. It's so good. It's so good. The snake scene. Oh my God. And she insists on more takes because she's like, it's just getting really real. It's about to get really real. You're like, that's a bad thing, girl. That's really bad. And like, also that she's kind of like a method actor for this role. It's so bad. Yeah. Like we need to talk about Joe. We got to talk about Joe. Okay. I need to know your reference points for Charles Melton pre May December. I didn't have any. You'd never seen his face before. I'd never seen his yeah. face before and blew me away. Blew me away. And I had seen him in dozens of hours of terrible tv because he played reggie in riverdale he was slanging that jingle jangle in riverdale season two which if you watched it you know what that means if you didn't that's code for dealing drugs but in riverdale a type of drug was called jingle jangle and reggie was slinging all, all over town before he opened up a speakeasy bar for children anyway Good show. It's kind of a Nora's arc. Yeah, I was more of a chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, you were. That's smarter. Um, it wasn't. He's also just like Charles Melton's press tour has been a delight. He's like bringing his mum to every red carpet. They make kimchi together. Love it. Love it. And his his physicality in this movie is like, it's so impressive the way that he as this hunky like thirst trappy kind of actor dissolved into this schlubby guy. And he's kind of, he's always kind of awkwardly like wiping the front of his polo shirt or he's like, you know, he's texting this girl from his butterfly chat group. And at one point she says, I'm in bed now or I'm in the bath. I've had a hard day. And the camera just sits on his face as he's like, like this just beautiful hunk of a man who is, has embodied this character who's been so like downtrodden and abused his entire life that he doesn't know which way is up. Yeah. And he does not, he does not think that he's been abused. Like she has such a hold over him and is so abusive to him. Yeah. Like through this film that when you finally see them talking about it and then she turns it back on him and Mm. is like, you've got all the power in the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's so awful to finally see like how she ticks. Have you seen the clip of Mary Kay Latona and Vili Falau on 60 Minutes Australia? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost word for word this scene of like, who was the boss? Who was the boss? Say it. Who was the boss? Who was in charge? Who was in ch- It's fucked up. It's so twisted. It's awful. Yeah. It's so awful. His relationship to his kids is like 
heartbreaking to watch. Oh, God, when he has like the weed with his kid and he's never smoked weed before and then he can't handle it and he comes really emotional. I don't know if we're connecting or if I'm giving you a bad memory. I was like, oh, because you don't know the difference between those two things because you've been told that the bad memories you have are all connection. And then by the love. Oh, then by the time he sleeps with Natalie Portman. And she, he just thinks that that's kind of it, like they might be together. And mm-hmm. she's like, what does she say something like that? This is what adults do. This is what grown-ups do. Grown-ups. Like she phrases it like a child does. <gasps> oh. It's just what grown-ups do. And also it wasn't until, like obviously the second time I watched it, I knew that that was going to happen. And I realised that. Imagine if you didn't. Imagine if you had amnesia when you started. <laughs> bad memories we've watched her in the hotel room watching those audition tapes and everything using this asthma device and then she's gracie let slip to her oh joe grew up so fast he had a sister who had really severe asthma and so he had to look after her and that's why he was so mature for his age when i met him and then you watch gracie use that information to manipulate joe who she's there shadowing because he's been so manipulated his entire life it's so fucked up she tells him that she has this device for her she uses Mm -hmm. her puffer in front of him to get him talking about it tells him that she has this machine she can't figure it out we've been watching her use it the entire movie gets him into the hotel room he helps her breathe and then they fuck and he gives her a letter that gracie wrote oh it's all just like that entire sequence of like he smokes weed with his son He's so soft with those kids and Mm. they're so resistant to their mum because she's absolutely fucking horrendous. But just that journey of Joe at the end, he smokes weed, he goes to her hotel, they have, he comes home and has that awful conversation with Gracie. If we're real as really as in love as we say we are, why can't we talk about this? And then he's just sobbing at graduate and that's just his story. He watches his kids from afar graduate and just cries. Oh, it's heartbreaking. He's incredible. He's incredible. Like this is the Oscars snob. Yeah. Like this is the one that matters. Absolutely. Greta, she fine. She fine. I don't even remember what men's before. It's like Oppenheimer's, I guess, are all getting their nominations. Yeah, it's the Oppenheimer's. It's all the boys. They're wow. back in town. They never left. <laughs> they never did leave. Yeah. It's what grown-ups do. But it's like Gra- Gracie's, Gracie's. Yeah, I guess I talked about it before, but like the way that she like assumes that victim role Mm. throughout the movie, you know, it's almost as if she knows when Joe's car pulls up in the driveway and she starts crying because he's always entering the house and hearing her faint cries and then having to go and like look after her and her needy little problems are so small. It's like a cake order's cancelled or he gets into bed and he smells like charcoal because he made the hot dogs. Because it's like if she were to focus on the the actual problems in this house, it's almost like it would be too much for her. She would just collapse or crumble. Yeah, she's just micromanaging every tiny detail of their lives. Yeah. And it reminded me of I was listening to I think it was an interview with Jonathan Glazer about the zone of interest recently. Maybe it was someone on a podcast talking about an interview with him. It's like I read this article, I actually just read the headline. But he talked about his direction for Sandra Hula in that movie was basically like, stay busy, never sit still, never stop for a minute. You're always, you've always have a task or a direction to give or someone to talk to because you have to be so consumed in the work of this life because you can't stop for a minute and think about what you're actually doing here. 
and it felt really familiar in like mm. Gracie kind of busying herself in like, I'm hosting a hot dog party for the 4th of July. I am doing my flower arranging. Oh, and now I'm going here and there's a dress fitting to get to and all my cakes, 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 cakes. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. Just busy work because, yeah, she can't – she's insecure. She sure is. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine pointed out that, like, well, they had, like, some issues with the film or couldn't, like, fully enjoy the film because they know that the real family is alive and, you know, couldn't mm. kind of enjoy it for what it is. Mm. And that made me think, A, God, I'm a horrible person because I loved it, and B, of the book that John Waters wrote, Role Models, mm. uh, and about his relationship with um, Leslie Van Houten, one of the Manson girls, mm-hmm. and how he, over the couple of decades that she was in jail, uh, started to rethink his use of the Manson girls and, like, Manson hysteria in his films and the way mm. he spoke about what they did and kind of, like, making it kind of fun. Mm. Um, anyway, but then I know that the real Joe. Billy. Yeah. Has kind of come out in interviews and said like, why didn't I get a call from Todd? How do you feel about it? I found his reaction so strange. Like I understand if a movie's been made, but it's not like the characters are Mary Kay Letourneau and Billy Falau. It's not like they, you know, the timings are different about like the kids in jail and blah, blah, blah. The teacher thing, they were co-workers in May, December. Like they changed enough that it wasn't Mm. based on their story. But Sammy Birch has said like I was thinking about being his age and the kids being older, you know. But, yeah, he – Vili Falau spoke with The Hollywood Reporter. Mary Kay Letourneau died a few years ago. Um, He said if they had reached out to me, we could have worked together on a masterpiece. Instead they chose to do a ripoff of my original story. And I just was really struck by this idea of like Natalie Portman isn't a hero in this movie coming in to make a movie no. about these people. And so he, I don't know if he's watched the film or not, but the idea that like her character who is so manipulative and ego driven and has bears no weight for the lives of the people she's fucking with to make this terrible TV movie that he's like, I should have gotten the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And, like, yeah. the character of Joe is sort of the only pure soul in this entire film. Like, you emotionally are with Joe the whole film. Like, he's yeah. the only one that you have any, any shred of empathy for. Absolutely. Yeah. I found, I mean, I, I can't begin to understand what Billy Flower's life is like, but I was like, surely, surely this is fine. <laughs> surely it's okay Yeah. That- that you didn't have to go through this experience on top of everything else that you've had to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like it's not a biopic. No, it's not, and it's it's a it's so deeply original. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I have a few see also's. Great. Um, one of them is a kind of a tenuous link, but not really. This the writer Lila Shapiro in the cut reported this big cover story a little while ago, all about age gap relationships and I think it dealt with some of the conversations that tend to happen online about that kind of blur what who's a victim who's been groomed just because someone is younger than another person and Mm -hmm. I think throwing those terms around for every age gap relationship is really troubling to me like Dorit on 
child Beverly, bride. Calling Crystal a child bride. She's I'm 24. Like, let's not pretend that you would call a 24-year-old white woman a child bride, Dorit. And people like have DM'd me about what I think about Austin Butler and Kaya Gerber's age gap. What's the gap? He's 32 and she's 22. I'm like, yeah, that's a significant age gap. She's been famous since she was 16. And that context, I think, changes someone's maturity level. But also, I don't care. She's a famous adult. And I also Googled what (laughs) epistemic relativism is. (laughs) Okay. Because in the scene when um, uh, Gracie is putting the blush on Elizabeth's face, the Ilya blush, I was very annoyed that she used the sponge to put it on. Yes. It really annoyed me, Kate. Just use your finger. Use your finger. It's a multi-stick. It's a cream-based product. And all she did, all Julianne Moore did in that scene was put blush on the sponge. None of it ended up on Natalie Portman's face. It was really annoying. But she says, like, oh, my parents were academics. They thought I could do better than being an actor. They wrote a book on epistemic relativism. Uh, And Gracie's like, my mom wrote a a blueberry cobbler recipe. And I had to Google what that meant because I don't know what it means. But in layman's terms, epistemic relativism acknowledges that the things people consider true in their lives are reflected by and limited to their scope and access to knowledge. So this idea of like your truth and your experience and your context and your naivety in the case of Gracie, (laughs) it denounces the notion of an objective truth as everyone's concept of truth is determined within a limited context which I found really interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I didn't pick that up at all. That second viewing, I tell you what, I've, I've kept talking about the second time I watched it and I'm going to go back for a third because I fucking love this movie. All right, I got to get in there. Do you have any other see alsos? That's all. I mean, the I mean, there's always just see every Todd Haynes film. Yeah, literally. The audio might change a little bit between this segment and the next one because we recorded this last week when Jinxie was in Sydney. And not in the same room as me. FYI, in case it sounds different, it's not your headphones, it's us. Another film that we were patiently waiting for Australian cinemas to finally release uh, that we can now talk about on the podcast is All of Us Strangers, the new film by Andrew Hay, the director of Weekend, creator of Looking, the HBO series, auteur of modern gay men's stories, if you will. I saw it a few months ago, Jinxie, and you did a rewatch last week so that we could have a proper strangers chat. I saw it uh, last year when you did uh, and had the single worst audience experience of oh my, my life. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I won't go too into it because people that I was with are probably listening and are still suffering trauma from that evening. Um, I do not want to be causing psychic damage, but I could barely hear the film because this person who was sitting near us, uh, a stranger, all of us strangers, was... Um, <laughs> Talking, sobbing, laughing, screaming at the screen the entire time to the point where I could not hear the film. But also it was like allocated seating in a sold out cinema where you couldn't really see the visibility was low of like if mm-hmm. there were any other spare seats around. So it was either like mm-hmm. I either walk out of this film or I just stay and bear it and maybe it will get better. And it just never got better no like we're talking like there's a really i I won't spoil it now but um there's like quite a touching scene where claire foy's character says something vaguely amusing and this person yelled out what up no (laughs) and it is like 
It's a sad film. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very like if if Anatomy of a Fall was dialogue heavy, this is light. This is like a a very uh, <laughs> affecting yes. little quiet film. What up? Wow. Yeah, and um, anyway, I just got, it's just too much. But anyway, so I knew that I needed to see it again. Yes, and yes. F- waited for a proper theatrical release and went on the f- opening night and um, the cinema was blissfully silent the entire film um, except for when I leant over and said to Zoe what up when Claire Floyd said the thing um, apologies to my girlfriend yeah it was just like such a completely different experience I'm so glad I did it thank Christ thank <laughs> Christ imagine imagine if it had been the same experience can you imagine I mean I have to say like this I don't know if this person was having a great night or a good night or something might have been up, but they did lean over and fart on my friend before leaving the cinema um, during the final scene. <laughs> they left during the final scene? They left during that. So they did that during the final scene and then they got up while the credits started rolling, um, clapping and yelling out, bravo, bravo. Oh, jinxie. So, like, they were having a time. I'm not there to police anyone else's viewing, but I knew no. that I needed to go back and see it another time. Wow. And, like, if you've seen all of the strangers, you're like, these are not the reactions that you would know. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was interesting. It was interesting. As a person who, like, you know, like, is very involved in exhibition of films, it was like I – you see it all. You see it all. The, the fart is my favourite part. It wasn't my friend's favourite, let me tell you. Any um, chat about <laughs> Andrew Haig's All of Us Strangers <laughs> started is this you, way. I feel like this is what every critic is talking about. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the cast. We haven't even uttered the phrase hot priest. But Everyone if, knows the cast. Yeah, I know. The, okay, the, the, all right. The, yeah, the pitch for this film is the cast. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, yes, it's Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. End of list. They're all so good. They're really good. I love Billy Elliot. I think that we probably will get into spoiler territory with this film because it's absolutely impossible not to. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet and you want to save yourself, etc., we'll put the um, time code in the show notes where we finish talking about All the Strangers so you can still listen to our also alsos. Yeah, just listen for this little fart noise and on the other side (laughs) we'll say what up to the plot. (laughs) My screening of this film started with an introduction that had to tell us all, this is this thing called magical realism, you guys, as if to kind of set the scene for like, it's not a documentary. <laughs> Imagine if you thought it was. But yeah, there is a, there is, I mean, I feel like this is signposted by like the trailer and all the promotion, but if you haven't, oh wait, we're behind the spoiler wall. Everyone who's listening knows the plot. But yeah, so this idea of like, kind of like visiting the past or like bringing the past into your present in this film, I feel like was really clearly signposted in the trailer and so quite a few of the plot moments I think were spoiled for me based on reveals and reactions in the cinema and I I didn't I didn't 
connect so much with all of us strangers, Jinxie. But I, and I feel like maybe that's the reason why, because I was kind of, I think what happens in the film was maybe like spoiled for me before I even went in. Yeah. I, I had not, like I'd very purposefully not read any reviews, read any interviews, like stayed away. If someone said that they'd seen it and everyone I knew saw it at like all the major festivals at the end of last year, I was like, not what up, but shut up. Like I did not want to hear what they had to say about it so that I could save myself. Yeah. And of course, as it turned out, I saved myself for a bad experience, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, cause I've seen it twice now and the second time I could hear it. So I loved it a lot more, mm. but I knew everything that was going to happen and like none of that mattered to me. I, I don't mm. know. Like I, the first time I saw it when I, the whole time I was watching it I was thinking god this feels like a Japanese novel like it feels so much like a Banana Yoshimoto book and I really love her writing so much and at the like at the very end credits it said that it was adapted from a book called Strangers by Taichi Yamada and I had right. did not I had never heard of that book and never heard of that author um and yeah, and, like, apparently it's, like, a completely different story. I think it's, like, it's set in Japan and it's, like, a straight um, straight relationship in it. But I really love that kind of, like, slippiness of time and ghosts and, like, I, like in a Banana Yoshimoto book, it's, like, girl gets off a train to go and have a drink after, like, a beer at a very small izakaya after work and starts talking to someone they go home together he doesn't exist like that's essentially like mm. a lot of her writing and so right I yeah it's like a I don't know it's like a particular kind of genre or like way of mm. storytelling that I really love so for me it wasn't about like a twist at any point it was just like I just sort sure. of went with it the whole time of like I don't know if any of this is real and as opposed yeah. to Wonka I bought into this logic system <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the the logic of the world that we're in is really clearly defined. Like the idea of like when Adam Andrew Scott's character kind of first goes back to his childhood village and and house, you know, there's there's actually quite a very cool sequence where he's kind of like following Jamie Bell through the town, and you think they're gonna fuck. And then, yeah, you think Jamie Bell's at a beat, like it's, you think they're cruising. That's yeah. the twist. That is the one twist in the film. That's- that's the big. That's why we had to go behind the spoiler wall because he doesn't fuck his dad. No, okay? it's his dad. I mean, it's his, his dad's dad. handsome, handsome, and his is his age ish. And so we find out that Andrew Scott's, sorry, Adams' parents died when he was a child. Let's just and say so, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Yeah, let's just do that. Yeah, um, Andrew Scott's parents died when he was a child, and so obviously there's so much about his life and his future that they never got to know. And in he's a screenwriter. He goes back to his childhood home to kind of get some inspiration or material or colour for his work. And he walks into the house and his parents are there kind of preserved in amber in this house. Like they're in the 80s. They're playing the music. They're cooking the food. They look the way they looked the last time he saw them. And he's a grown adult and there is no question about what's happening they all just start talking to each other and like oh you're back oh here you are it's so nice to see you again and that element of the rules of the film I really loved that they they, they didn't need to over explain anything we were all just there in the 
in the present but with these ghosts of the past. I am tearing up just hearing you talk about it because <laughs> I really just really like deeply connected with this film. Yeah. I loved how you said that they were preserved in amber because that's exactly how mm. it is. And I think that that's such a major kind of part of the film and, and something that I really loved was that when Andrew Scott is reconnecting with his family, like at first you just see this kind of like sense of childish wonder on his face. He can't quite believe mm. it, but he's not kind of, he's still being kind of shy around them or quiet because he doesn't know if it's real or not and mm. his interactions are not like you have finally caught up with like your dead parent. It is very much that he's overwhelmed by it. He is finding joy in this experience but also as he gets to kind of speak to them, particularly his mother more and more, they are preserved in amber, their thoughts on like sexuality and uh, mm. you know art and whatever else has stayed the same like that he has to try to connect with this woman literally from the past and yeah. kind of convince her that actually the world has changed um in the time that she has not been with them and I, like to draw an extremely long bow that i just thought of it's kind of like that TV show we both liked by the Palm Springs writer. The resort? The resort of the idea of, like, could you just put yourself in a pool and, like, skip all of this time and not age, but actually all the things that you miss out on are mm. the, the things that matter in life. And, mm. like, I, I really kind of I got that from, from this film. Mm. I really hate to be the person drawing this comparison, but while you were talking just then, Jinxie, I thought of... Because he goes back, he he discovers this, like like you said, it's this childhood wonder of like, oh, there's my mum and dad and they're there. And if I go back, he knows they're going to be there. It kind of reminds me of in the first Harry Potter film <laughs> where he looks into the, the mirror of desire and he sees his heart's desire and it's just his parents standing behind him. Yeah. And so he sneaks out of bed every night to just be near them and they're not real and he knows they're not real but like to be sucked into that world and just to know that you can go and like tap into like for him it wasn't a memory but for Andrew Scott it's kind of this this past version of himself but there's there's kind of a a deadline on it it feels like you know like they're they're in like a parallel year inching towards like the time that they went out for a Christmas party, I think, was it? Yeah. And just didn't didn't ever come home. And so they're like putting the decorations on the tree and there's this kind of sense of like, oh, we're getting closer. Yeah. And also that thing of like he thinks that he can just keep coming back to see them and it starts mm. to massively affect his day-to-day -day life or what we think mm. is his day-to-day -day life or a relationship that he is kind of now in with Paul Meskell and it's deeply affecting that already. Look, the Harry Potter connection is correct, Beale. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to. I hate to draw a link. No, that's um, what we do. It is what we do. It does it. It does. It does the same thing. But yeah, the. Um, oh my Angela god. Angela Bassett did the thing. The, she did the thing. <laughs> the moment of um, Claire Foy singing "Always on My Mind" by the Pet Shop Boys to Andrew Scott, who I think is in his like like adult-sized kids' pajamas yeah. while he's while this is happening. It's just, like, that was the moment that struck me the most in the film, I think, that song and those lyrics. Yeah. Um, 
which was number one in at Christmas time in 1987 when that scene was oh. supposed to be. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Um, he had great. He had great taste, little baby Andrew Scott had great taste. Oh, my God. Did he just, when he goes into his childhood bedroom and he pulls out the records that he was listening to and it's Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Erasure, I gasped. Uh, I love that he was 11 and listening to that. It made me remember that for Christmas when I was 12, what I asked for and received from my beautiful sister who had such good musical taste uh, was an erasure album or an erasure CD single of them doing covers of their favorite ABBA songs. It was called ABBA-esque. Is that the gayest thing you have ever heard? Am I actually a gay man? I am a lesbro. I'm the lesbro. So good. You are Andrew Scott. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if two, uh, straight, as far as we know, actors have ever filmed such great gay sex scenes. Andrew Scott's gay. Is he? Yeah. He's, he's, he's been out forever. Yeah. He's a gay man. I've I've never Googled. Oh, I've never Googled. In fact, I literally have only ever seen him in Fleabag. Well, in fact, he was asked in an interview or he was doing like the, one of those actors roundtable things and oh, yeah. he brought up how much he detests the phrase um openly gay because he's like oh, i don't yeah. have to say that i'm openly irish i'm just irish and i really appreciate it that i hate the phrase openly it sounds like it was. it's basically like saying not ashamed to be gay um yes and so Gay and talks about it. Gay and tells us yeah. or doesn't hide it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Well, he's been. He hasn't been hiding it. I just haven't been seeking it out. I suppose. Oh my god. I sound so uninformed. No. Being like he's straight. No. I mean, he's full Jew. It's great. He's an actor. It's what he does. Love him. Well, I, he the way that he and Paul Mescal like hold each other's thighs before they start kissing. I was like love this. Oh, the chemistry was real. I thought they were like it's so good. Such incredible like. Um, as Zoe's mum would call them, nighttime scenes um, in this <laughs> their film. Night, their nighttime scenes were great. They had really good nighttime scenes. Yeah, I thought that it was really beautiful and I loved the kind of intergenerational relationship between Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott and their mm. conversations were so frank and just the kind of conversations that I am very familiar with of like whether that Andrew Scott still says gay and Paul Meskel says queer and then Paul Meskel says, Paul Meskel's character Harry says basically he, you know, these are the reasons why he uses queer but also understands that it kind of like defangs gayness a bit, like it takes the cocksucking out of it, I think, um, is what he says. And I... So good. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. I really also enjoyed when they were talking about having sex for the first time, when um, Harry says, oh, like, are you into fucking... If you're not, that's okay. Not everyone has to be. And just this kind of, I don't know, these really frank sexual conversations, particularly, like, explicit to, like, gay relationships or mm-hmm. queer relationships if you're Harry was just so kind of spot on and it's just just stuff that you don't really get to see I mean look Michael Patrick King tried to put it in with that um Anthony conversation in uh, and just oh like God. that but didn't quite get there I thought you were gonna say Miranda putting the strap on <laughs> no the, the Anthony line about yeah, yeah anyway like his who's ass the woman virginity. or whatever oh my god Stanford was a top that was law <laughs> 
Of course, Stamper was a top. But yeah, I just thought like they were just so perfectly cast opposite each other. And then Jamie Bell and Claire Foy as the parents were so mm. good. And so good. I love that they're slightly younger than he is as well. Like he has yeah. aged past them and is now actually the adult that they yeah. kind of never get to be on. Yeah. Like you see their sadness of sort of dealing with their death and like wondering about what their death was like and Mm. yeah oh god it's just oh look i just it, hook line and i'm sinker. like where where did you live like who looked after you yeah like, i feel like this conversation is recasting the film for me because when i watched it i think i well i was in a really shitty mood when i watched it and also i was surrounded by a lot of like oh like andrew scott paul mescal oh mm. kind of energy and i think because i, I what what eventually we learn about Harry and his tenuous connection to life and reality, I assumed that that was plot from the very start. Mm. And so I kind of, I feel like the air was kind of sucked out of this film a bit for me. And so I was kind of only, I was in, a, I think I was in a shitty mood and I was looking for things to critique about it and to not, it didn't, it didn't hit me in the way that, um, I wanted it to, but as we're talking about all these really touching moments, I was really deeply moved by it. Are you saying that it didn't get you in the feels, BL? It didn't get me <laughs> in the capital F feels, yeah. Well, I caught all the feels. <laughs> and I did see people saying afterwards, like, you know, I, I heard I heard from people who are, like, um, gay or queer, depending on your generation, who also have lost parents, talking about what a – what an experience it is to see that idea of like not necessarily coming out to your parents in a way that you ne were never able to, but like being understood and known by them. Um, and I think a part of me was like, oh, would I have had a different experience of this film if I had, if I shared those experiences? But, you know, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you have to have lived something to relate to it in a story, but perhaps that would have like enhanced my experience of it but I found a couple of the a bit of the dialogue towards the end especially in the final moments between Andrew Scott and his parents a little neat and a little kind of like obvious or simple but now that we're talking about it Kate I think maybe like as you say he was older he's older than they got to be and he had to kind of like soothe them a little bit and so Perhaps what, what I was finding as, like, the dialogue that wasn't connecting that was a little after school specially maybe was, like, him being, like, parenting them a little yeah. and, like, brushing over the harshness of what happened to them and to him. Yeah, he's just kind of make it okay. Like, he's, he's mm. soothing himself and soothing them in that scene I think and yeah I mean I, I don't think that you'd need to have experienced everything to kind of connect with the film or whatever um, for it to be universal I do think that it you'd with all films though if like it's if it relates very specifically to things that have happened to you or that you've experienced you will have a different t experience of the film or yeah. like the piece of art like but I have lost a parent and had a complicated relationship about my sexuality um, with them and repression at different times. Mm -hmm. And that is so much of the Adam character in this, um, of his own repression and, like, the the AIDS crisis being just such a heavy burden on him when he was 
you know, first having sexual thoughts, essentially, that as that it would just lead to death. I really appreciated that scene with him and when Harry is saying that he doesn't really get it, like he, he doesn't really understand the, the idea that, like, sex might lead to death in that same way that he kind of didn't grow mm. up with that because, um, you know, he, I mean, like, the character can be, like, on prep or whatever and, like, it's a very different, it's such a different time now. But also mm. that that is, like, Paul Meskel, Harry saying that to Adam, that he's basically saying like, oh, it's different now. And then Adam to Adam and then Adam saying to his parents like, oh, the world's different now, but the world is still different to him. Like the generation mm. younger than him still having a different, like things have moved yeah. on. And so he's in the middle of that. God, that's such a good point. Yeah. And he, Harry takes him to a club where they have like, he gets to kind of like be with the young people. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's really good. Paul Mescal, no more heartbreaking nightclub <laughs> scenes though. For I, I need a year off. Uh, yeah, he's he's done that. And um, I we need, need a break. We need to see him in the light. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to talk a bit about the music in this film. It's a really great soundtrack. Great Pet Shop Boys songs in this. And um, obviously the Frankie Goes to Hollywood stuff is huge. But they use a House Martin song, Build, and I, thanks to my sister, love the House Martins and loved them when I was, like, about that age and uh, hadn't listened to them for so long. And, yeah, I just, like, hadn't really heard it in a film before. I was very excited by it. I had just been listening to that music for nonstop since seeing the film the first and second time. Um, but also, Andrew Haig used his own childhood house. Oh, uh. I know. That's wild. He hadn't been in there for 40 years. and It's, it's really wild. Wait, that must mean the photos that Andrew Scott holds up are probably yes. his. Yes. Yeah, and they just yeah, put okay. Claire Foy into some of them. How extraordinary. He just kind of went to the house and the current yeah. owner just let them. And I think it was Claire Foy who said, like, it was such a gift for the actors because you got to, maybe mm. it was Jamie Bell, because you got to see Andrew Haig on set in this house kind of having to deal with his own emotions and, like, them mm. being able to see actually what had happened or what was transpiring. Mm. And also that Jamie Bell grew up um, without a father and mm. he, so he was, like, channeling that very much into, like, his portrayal of this father. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That um that feeling of like acting in that house it reminds me of um hearing about the the making of the Fablemans and how much Steven Spielberg's um sisters were involved with the actors and like telling them about their parents especially their mother and before they started filming one scene they gave Michelle Williams all of their mother's perfume. And they had tracked it down or they'd kept it from her or whatever. They sprayed it on her and she walked onto set and Spielberg was not prepared. Like he was just like overcome with, you know, not just this actress like inhabiting his mother, but the sense memory of her, her smell on, on set as well. Mm, yeah. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, yeah, look, I, I just really adored this film. I just think it's really so tender and I, I just, it captured so many emotions that I did not know mm. that I really possessed, I think. Like, it mm. really kind of brought up a lot um, for me that mm. I'm really a appreciative of it. And I think that, God, it's like he has said 
essentially that it is kind of a film for a very specific kind of um, age of, like, British gay man. And I think that that's completely fine, that that's what he's mm. made. And I am obviously not that. And I had such a strong connection to it. But, um, yeah, I just think it it'll be really... Oh God, not healing, but I think it will be just mm. such a kind of touchstone for a lot of people who don't sort of, or a particular generation who don't really, mm. who didn't know that that's what was missing or something. I'm going to cry. It's too beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's it's unlike anything else. It's it's really, really remarkable. And I've come around on it <laughs> through this conversation as well. I was just going to recommend as a very tenuous also also The Eternal Daughter by our Queen Joanna Hogg, that idea of like parental memory and like re- grasping on reality in a spooky old house. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, I've got a couple. Um, Paul Meskell made a playlist not featuring songs from this film, but it's called, but for this film. It's called Songs That Make Paul Meskell Feel Something. So we'll link to that. Andrew Scott, if you want to go and see him play 11 characters for a number of hours, uh, National Theatre Live, Vanya, the production that I saw in London and talked about and spent so much money seeing. Um, you can spend a lot less seeing it now. It's in cinemas in Australia. <laughs> it's touring. Also in cinemas is Pet Shop Boys Dream World Live, the hits. And oh. I am very tempted finally to go and see this concert film. Should we go? I Thornbury Picture House is doing it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I think that would be fun. See also yeah, outing. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, see Andrew Haig's Weekend if you haven't already. And if you want the lesbian Section 28 experience or like adult experience, uh, Blue Jean, uh, a film that was in cinemas, it's probably on streaming now. Mm. Go and see that if you want to continue your um, queer Thatcher year cinema. And how could you not? <laughs> Jinxie, what's your first also also this week? My first one is a film series happening at Golden Age Cinema and Bar in Surrey Hills in Sydney. It's called In the Sun with Eric Romare, uh, put together by the wonderful JD at Golden Age. It's a beautiful season of Eric Romare films that you never, ever, ever get to see in the cinema. I wish that I was in Sydney for all of these I love his films. So it draws from his, like, he had these filmic cycles, like Six Moral Tales and Comedies and Proverbs and then the Tales of the Four Seasons. So it's got a couple of films from each of those. It kicks off with the beautiful Green Ray. If you're on Instagram at all, you have probably seen so many stills of all of his films. This is your opportunity to see them on the big screen. Um, They kick off on the 2nd of Feb and they run through to April. Do not miss them. I wish I could be there. Go for me, please. Oh, that's a nice long run too. My first one is my favourite nail artist in Melbourne, Thick and Rich Manicures. I want to shout out Yasmin. I got my nails done for my birthday. They're very glam and dramatic. And Thick and Rich, two things I hope to be. Um, <laughs> so with all the links to book with uh, Yasmin, she works out of Trophy Wife Nail Salon. I'll put them in the show notes. Cool, cool, cool. My next one is a piece that just ran in The New Yorker. It's called The Woman Who Spent 500 Days in a Cave. It's 
such a good read. Sorry, your dream life. It truly is. It's like if you've just watched Nyad uh, previous, also, also, <laughs> this next one is for you. It's all about a woman named Beatrice Flamini. She decided to live in a cave in Andalusia for 500 days, trying to set a record. Uh, she decided that she needed to go and live in the mountains when she turned 40. She changed her life completely and then uh, was in this cave, I think, when she was like 50. So it's very Nyad-y, right? Mm. Incredible piece and, uh, yeah, written by D.T. Max. My next one is, I mean, I'm not, I'm the 500th person to recommend it. I'm sure it's been all over your Instagram. Jacqueline Novak's Netflix special, Get On Your Knees from the stage show that I desperately wish I could have seen in person. It's an hour and a half. She fought Netflix for that uh, over 60-minute runtime. It's just like a brain that fires like no one else's, like truly an artist at the top of her game. I loved it. I had a special viewing party with my friend to watch it last week. He had seen it before, but we were both just like tickled the whole way through. Cool. I got to see it. I still haven't seen it. Oh, it's so great, Jinxie. My last one is a little New Zealand shout out, a recommendation for a restaurant everyone in Auckland already knows about. A recommendation? (laughs) Sorry. But if you are traveling over there, maybe you haven't heard of it. I hadn't. It's called Peachy. It's also on K Road in St. Kevin's Arcade. Peachy or Pitchy? P-I-C-I. Anyway, I went there for pasta and wine on the last night I was there. It was so delightful. Like tiny, tiny little spot, but they've used like every ounce of space. We sat like upstairs on a mezzanine mm. and um, had this like smoked fish tagliatelle and Ooh. bitter leaves and zucchini bucatini and tomatoes and had like a great dessert, which is something I don't often do. Mm. I had a dark chocolate semifredo with pistachio and salted caramel and some great local wines there was a guy next to us wearing a jumper that said, fuck off, I'm gardening. Oh. Like I was in heaven. It's your people. Yeah, exactly. You need a fuck off, I'm looking at my worms jumper. <laughs> I really Fuck do. off, I've got worms. <laughs> <laughs> I've got worms. It's a very dumb and dumb. I should just get a dumb and dumber shirt. Yeah. My last one is a recommendation for a very hypey, sweet little spot in Brunswick, Ima Asayoru. It's the new version of the Ima Project Cafe that used to be in Carlton. Jinxie, I feel like we had a very early... We had our first see also planning meeting there. our first one? Yes. I remember I came in my footy scarf and you were like, wait, what's happening? And I was like, I'm going to the footy after this. Um, they, you'll remember that was kind of a pokey little brunch spot for like a Japanese set menu kind of thing. Um, but they needed to expand to a bigger place to kind of achieve what they wanted to financially and like menu wise. Um, so they now do dinners. They, it turns into an izakaya at dinner time. Um, they've got a beautiful bar. There was a lot of like flame throwing going on in the kitchen. No, that's not the word. <laughs> Torching, like tor- torching of salmon. It was like, was Zena back then? Yeah. I went for brunch on the weekend and it was fucking phenomenal. I'd been to Chibi the day before, all my fave set menus. And they have a little pantry like shop next door where you can Love get that. takeaways and like little pastries and stuff from the counter. And so much like food and brands that I was very excited to shop. I was carrying the rice that I bought there all day because I forgot to bring a bagu with me. Fresh tomatillos. I've never seen them in person before in Australia. They had them at Emma Pantry. I'm a big fan. Highly recommend. Oh, I cannot wait because I loved that other one. Mm, so good. The matcha. I got a iced 
mocha for my breakfast. Oh, hello. It was really yummy. It was a real <laughs> little treat for me. Thanks for listening to See Also. Follow us as ever over on Instagram at See Also Podcast. And if you're not joined up to the Hog Hive, if you're not a member of the Hog Hive over on Patreon, get along to patreon.com slash see also join up for a couple of bucks you will get our archive of uh, special bonus episodes and no ads and some future bonuses we have been prepping in the background Mm -hmm. and if you're listening to this on saturday morning our live show is tonight and there might still be some tickets left if they are the details are in the show notes but we'll see you next week thanks as always to harvey sutherland for our theme music and samuel hodge for our artwork Thanks, fellas. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 